Hi, I'm Nigel Baker, and you're listening to The Future Financial Advisor. We're running this podcast to create an avenue for advisors to share their thoughts and their, their best interests and really trying to attract those advisors who want to take the industry forward. What we want is great businesses are really making a difference and really making a big impact to their clients, and we want to know how they're doing it. So in this series, we're going to be discussing the latest digital platforms, some best practices, evidence-based investing strategies. We want to give financial advisors the tools they need to help more investors improve their financial well-being. So if you're ready to take the industry forward, modernize your advisory practice and reach a new generation of investors and the new generation of advisors, then this show is for you. So all our recordings and podcasts are general advice. All the content, all the people interviewing here, it's all their own opinions and all their own views. In no way does it constitute any personal advice or recommendations. If you need specific advice, please go and seek an advisor. Thanks very much. So welcome to today's episode of the Future Financial Advisor. On these podcasts, we interview advisors, we interview people from the industry. Uh, it's relevant for advisors, for clients in this industry, for people looking to understand this industry better. And we also talk a lot about what's going on from a regulatory change at the moment as well, which is really exciting. At the end of the day, we just want to help more people, um, want to make advice accessible to more people. And we want to talk to businesses about how they're doing that. We know that a lot of businesses really love helping more complicated people, and of course they should focus on doing that. What we want to encourage is people opening that up to helping some of those clients and customers that don't need the full advice, and how can they do that using technology that still provide a really valuable and uh, useful experience for those clients and customers. So today I'm really excited to have as our guest John Hazel. Uh, John I've known for a long time. He's been in the industry for 20 years, started off in the banking world, um, has started his own practice, has his own license, which is a tough journey in itself. Uh, he's got a great business called Richmond Partners in, in Sydney, uh, and he's going to share his experience about his journey, how they use technology, how they're trying to use technology to help more people, and of course, some of his thoughts about what needs to change to make this industry better for everyone. So thanks so much, John, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, good morning, John. Great to have you here. How are you? Good, thanks, Nigel. How are you? Yeah, no, really good. So, John, um, this podcast is all about you know learning from the best advisors, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on board to share some of your thoughts on the industry and share some of your experiences. The question I like to ask first is, you know, tell me about your story. How did you how did you get into the industry? Sort of by accident, I think. I think like a lot of planners, um, came into the industry through the banking channel. Then uh, changed my mind on the banking side and uh, took a job in funds management and uh, client services, and really enjoyed that and tickled the interest. So. From there, started studying and uh, found myself back at the bank uh, as a financial planner and uh, just coming up 20 years doing that now, but have uh, taken that journey to, to take my own license to try and put my own footprint and version of things as, as I see it and the way the industry is going. Yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. So, um, you know, jumping out of the, the big banks is where, you know, most advisors sort of started in some way or form. Uh, I did the same and uh, obviously great experience. So just uh, um, I suppose for, for those listening, some are still trying to work out whether they should be um, in their own license or join a big group. What made you make the decision to be uh, set up your own license and was that difficult? Yeah, so I think um, it was. It came about from a number of reasons, and I think if I if I look at it now, my my reasons and rationale are probably different to even when I started. So I think ultimately it was it was about control and just being able to control the client experience and and how we delivered advice and, and how we wanted to deliver advice. So whilst I 
love the experience I had at the bank, like a lot of people. You know, it came to a point where I, I didn't quite agree with how it was being delivered and what they were asking us to do. So I, I joined another license and found that quite uh, liberating and certainly able to, again, you know, sort of put that own spin on how I delivered advice to clients and um, really felt that that was something that increased the experience for the clients and, and you know, we managed to put our own um, input in to, to get a better result um, for them in, in, in not just maybe performance or something like that, but also ultimately in terms of, of what services do we delivered and how we delivered. So I think anyone looking at it now, um, I definitely think, you know, think twice about a license because it's a lot of work, but if it's something that they want to take that direction and, and put their own spin on, delivering advice whether that's with technology or experiences and you know the the end user experience it is something that you can fashion you know in your own way and deliver in a way that uh, you, you feel more comfortable uh, with certainly beyond that i think uh it, it comes down to the individual whether you want the more collegiate you know experience of, of other advisors working under a license um you know someone else taking the responsibility of the license or whether you want to step up and, and take that on but it is a lot of work um so i'd say baby steps don't dive into it too early and unless you're really ready and you've got everything else figured out yeah yeah i agree with you there it's uh it's not the easy path so well done and um you know, setting up your own business and uh, running your own license. Certainly not the easiest way to do it, but uh, I think, yeah, as you've seen, the, the uh, rewards are there and the flexibility and the control seem to be worth it. Huh? So um, the industry's changed a lot since uh, you and I jumped into it or 20 years ago or so. And uh, I think back then that there wasn't really an industry. It was sort of an evolving beast. So what's, um, and a lot's changed, but what are you, what are you seeing as the key issues right now in the industry that's still going through, you know, a lot of regulatory reform and People are unsure. What, what, what do you what do you see as the key issues? Yeah, I think I think look, there's still the the um, regulatory burdens are quite um, significant, and the, the hurdles to deliver advice are still, uh, in my impression, you know, way too high. I think um, you can still deliver good advice without some of the constraints that, it, that currently exist. Um, you know, the need for an 80-page statement of advice just is, is ludicrous. Really say it in, in, a, in a lot less, maybe 10 pages. But I think that's that regulatory burden for a lot of planners is, has, you know, we've seen exit of a lot of planners, um, significant numbers leaving. Adding to that the um, ed- education piece, uh, I don't think that's a problem. I think... It's a good thing for the industry, and we should should be raising the bar. But I can understand that that's that can be a burden to, to people in in who've been in the industry for a long time. But I think that professionalism, you know, issue is, is going to come back and haunt us if we don't address that. So, um, for the most part, the you know technology is starting to help with some of these things. But that is, issue of the regulatory burden, the compliance side of things, um, just the sheer volume of work that has to be done to deliver a, a compliant SOA is something that. It, continues to trouble the industry and I think we're seeing massive uh, influences in costs increasing and so forth and that's I think probably the biggest burden and and certainly where we have a lot that we can deliver at a lower cost that's going to be the continuing I think trip and uh, journey that we're on this stage. Yeah I don't know if you had a chance to read it but uh, Michelle Levy has put forward her 
those sort of draft proposals. Um, and there's been some interesting uh, debate in the media around it. And some people surprisingly are resistant to letting go of SOAs. Uh, in my experience, I, I can't see how clients see much value in them. I can understand the need to want to make sure always the clients uh, get the information and disclosure. Uh, but we've lived through this world where the requirement of a statement of advice really was driven by, in my view, the big the big licensees being terrified and therefore just kept adding layers and layers and layers. I don't think ASIC ever ex- expected to be 80 pages. No, no. No, and, and and apparently ASIC are running to a different um, checklist than the one that they publicly list at the moment as well. So, you know, it just goes to show that they, they do it their own way and they'll continue to do so. But I think, yeah, you're right. You know, Michelle's uh, leaving its um, initial of what I've seen of it. Um, the report certainly points towards the right way, I think, of trying to reduce that. And it's a sensible move. How we get there, yeah, I, I, that's a tough question. But I agree. I, I think most clients have to read it. They know they have to read it. But if, if you really got an honest answer from every client that they understood every single page and they read every, every single page, I think I just don't think that's that's reasonable. You know, when it's 80 pages, you know, we know that some of the stuff we put in, they, they might not read. But, um, you know, it might be an appendix and it's there to make sure it's, yeah, we've, we've covered ourselves. Uh, and that's not really the right way it should be delivered. It's... It should be there to give them confidence and give them a plan that they can easily digest and, and understand and, and can come back and change as they need. The evolution of things like the video SOAs is a good move. You're going to get more out of it um, when it's delivered that way. You're certainly going to, I think, probably see more, again, technology playing that role and, and seeing the conversion of that. But it will be interesting to see what comes out of the advice reform and um, uh, hopefully there are some positives and people take note and those that those that matter take note um, uh, and we get some developments out of it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting times. We'll see how it evolves. I think certainly her premise of good advice is a good idea. Um, but, you know, again, how that evolves and how... I mean, you still have to worry about the industry hasn't been great really at looking after the end client when you look at it, honestly, like people like you and I do, and there's lots of great advisors out there. Um, but unfortunately, the industry has been pretty bad at using the rules to look after it's, it themselves first, and I suppose that's where the fears are coming in, saying if we reduce some of this paperwork, the paperwork came around to try and protect consumers. That hasn't really worked. I like the idea of good advice. I like the idea of saying, hey, uh, depending on the client, like a client might need a one-page letter just to explain pay off your debt versus... A client might still need a 20-page document to explain a, a structure or a super fund. or uh, So I think it, it needs to be more flexible and that, that allows good advisors like you to help more people. Um, and technology can, can help, but um, I think that the legislation is, is pretty onerous at the moment. We all know that. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, look, um, yeah, the, the question of good advice is, um, yeah, it's subjective side of things. We'll see the results. But I think as long as the um, implementation of it is done in the right spirit and, and we follow um, I mean, I don't think everything that's in the SOA at the moment is bad. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people would argue the merits of it. And I think that's, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a discussion for another time. But but certainly for the most part, um, you, you know, you should be able to deliver something almost in, in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. It works for just about every other industry. Why can't it be done for, for, for ours? I think most clients can glean what they need to from that. Uh, you know, with reference points and, and other material, you can have that. And, and it should almost be a live, I think, sort of a live document that, that is changed and updated as the client situation moves rather than another 80-page document 12 months later to state, state the same thing as you did the previous 12 months. So, you know, that's, that's some of the difficulty, I think, that, um, that they need to address, but yeah. So you mentioned that, I mean, technology is a, a part of this solution. Um, a business like yours, you're 
you're running pretty hard, you're talking to lots of people. How do you use technology at the moment to improve that client experience? We have an app through uh, My Prosperity Technology. It helps to give clients um, one view of their entire wealth and their position. Um, it also has added features of keeping you know, on top of cash flow and um, you know, property valuations and um, tax help and so forth. Um, you, know, you can put goal setting in there and, and, and other details. Um, that, we get a lot of feedback from clients on that. And technology in itself helps to feed into other pieces of technology. And I think that's the, probably the biggest problem with, with, our, with our practice at the moment is probably too much technology, but um, we, we, we live and die by our own decisions. But ultimately, that, where that helps is rather than having multiple tech touch points for the clients, they can look at it in one place and, and the feedback is good and, and consistent around that piece that they can just go to one source. It's on their phone. Um, even, and this would probably surprise a lot of people, but you know, the, the, our older clientele, um, which we have probably more than the average, they, they embrace it and they, and they like to use it and they find it a lot easier because if it's set up properly, um, you know, they can touch their finger pin on the, on the phone and um, up comes all their details and they know exactly where they're sitting at any given day or time with live updates, you know, including bank accounts, a whole lot. Apart from that, you know, there's, there's electronic fact finds and electronic risk profiles that, that help to reduce the time maybe in front of the planner, which helps to reduce the cost. So whilst I think the industry's seen a, a trend of increasing costs, we've actually been able to reduce our costs consistently over the last couple of years as our clients come on the journey with us and embrace some of that technology. So certainly making, you know, we probably cut 10 to 15 hours per year out of most clients' administration time by having the technology. So that's really helped. There's plenty of other pieces of technology in the background that we have. Uh, we'd all like to get rid of X-Plan, but maybe that one, I'm sorry to, sorry to people at Iris, but um, um, I think it's a, a pretty common um, point. But uh, other than that, technology, the main pieces that really have helped us is, is outsourcing. So that Technology that you know we, we have power planners offsite. We don't you know employ a power planner, um, and you know through Padua they um, deliver our SOAs and a lot of our advice documents, and you know, we can do an ROA in a matter of minutes across just about any platform or, or goal or change to their advice. So that sort of stuff has really helped to reduce time uh, in the practice, but uh, most importantly for clients, it's it's helping to reduce their costs rather than going up, even though the compliance costs have gone up significantly and we've got to carry the cost of technology, it is an improvement. So, you know, they're, they're probably the key elements in there that we use. Yeah, that's um, really, especially having that app, and I think that's been one of the challenges in the industry is bringing all that data together with clients with different accounts and properties and super funds and um, so it's great that you've sounds like you found a pretty good solution. I know talking to a lot of advisors there, they talk about having a solution, but there's still bits and pieces that aren't working. So um, my gut feel is the industry's not quite there yet. It's getting closer to having that sort of total client sort of ability to get all the data together. Yeah, and look, it'd be remiss of me not to mention uh, where you you help us out and uh, and the other end of the um, advice chain as well, and that is. We're seeing with younger clients, um, one of a better term, um, lower maintenance or lower uh, fee-paying clients where they have uh, less advice needs or lower advice needs. We're able to you know, use Centium and, and the process that you guys have uh, built to retain some of our lower value clients or lower maintenance clients um, and, and keep them on board, you know, maybe at arm's length so we don't have to charge them an arm and a leg to deliver advice that they potentially don't need. Uh, we're able to give them that advice in, in a very strong 
fashion that, that meets you know all the compliance regulations, but at a, at a price that's a fraction of what we would otherwise have to charge. So that part of the advice delivery, you know, you know we can still have our custom wholesale clients at the top end, you know, retain those uh, smaller value clients um, and give them advice, but when they need it, they can contact us. So and you know, then we step back into a, a buy, you know, uh, feed feed for the hourly sort of um, advice. That side of it, I think. Um, is an area where we get a lot of feedback from other licenses of how, you know, they're struggling to see how they can retain those clients. And in some cases, cases they're either doing it at a cost um, just because from an ethical perspective, they don't want to let these clients go and have them out in the wild with no one to look after them. Or uh, they've got a regulatory problem because they're charging them too much um, and they know it. So that side of it, I think, um, is a really helpful one. And, and again, you know, we can keep those clients in our business um, but at a fraction of the cost um, to them and and to us as a licensee, um, you know. And then the other end of the cycle, it's the, those uh, lower value clients who, where they're just starting out who need some advice, but again, don't need to pay three or five thousand dollars a year, um, and they can jump onto that. So that's been a big you know change for us and something that we uh, we're going to see a lot of growth I think through the next year or two with our business and how we see it um, growing. Yeah, that's great that you know you've you've. Um you come on board, you know, very early in the in the center story, which uh, which is awesome. But I mean, great. I think advisors like you see the opportunity to help these people, and as a lot of advisors out there are still trying to work it out and go, oh, it's too hard, it's it's too. But uh, I think there is a solution, um, and I think long term, you know, as advisors in the industry, I, I do feel that it's a bit of a responsibility that we can't just sit here and look after fifty clients. I mean, that's that's nice business, but being able to offer a solution to those that can't afford advice yet or don't need full advice. I think is a way forward and you know you're creating a future industry that brings back a bit of I suppose the credibility as well I think I think the, the industry has been bashed around a lot so you want you want to look forward in 10 years and go hey we, we made a difference we we changed the, the language a bit yes no I think you know um, whether it's from an incubator perspective of, of younger clients you know children of um, uh, clients who, who are you know uh, established clients with us um, <clears throat> or whether it's um, you know those those clients who are in the twilight of their retirement, and you know, unfortunately, savings have dwindled. They've enjoyed their life, uh, whichever aspect it is. They still need advice, but they may not need the full gambit and, the, and you know the eighty-page SOA every year. Sometimes they just need someone to be looking after the investments in a, in a um, responsible fashion. And then when you know, occasionally when they need some advice, whether it be Centrelink or um, you know, when it comes to aged care, you know, there are going to be those moments, and you can then re-engage as you need, whether it's transactionally, uh, just to address that matter, or uh, or otherwise, um, and get them back onto a full you know feed you know full service uh, package. But the awakening that we sort of had with that was that. We don't need to let these clients go. We don't need to charge them a fortune, but we can still keep them, um, you know, I say at arm's length because they're not being charged a fee. They're not being given ongoing advice directly by us, but um, but they know that if we're only a phone call away and they can re-engage at any time. And, and, and most clients, when we've positioned it with them, um, they've accepted it with open arms and, and they're really appreciative of just the fact that we recognise that there's a value in the relationship even though they might not sit down with us every single year or, um, you know, need to have that discussion. But when they do need advice, they know that they can pick up the phone, they know exactly who they're talking to and, you know, we can re-engage pretty easily. So I think that's the game changer in in terms of hanging on to what some people would refer to as CMD clients. It's a terrible thing, but you got to look at it from a commercial standpoint at some stage and you can't 
you know, we, we don't run a charity, we do run a commercial business and this way we, we're meeting our obligations and the clients are, are feeling that they're, um, they're heard and they're um, loved, but also, you know, we, we get the right, um, right advice in, in front of them in, in a timely fashion. So it's, you know, everyone wins, I think, out of it. Yeah, really. I mean, I think that one of the challenges for uh, people out there is that there's so much information and, uh, and they may be a bit afraid to speak to an advisor because they're worried about cost or time. Um, so yeah, how will we change that? Because if you go, if you just Google, you know, investments, I mean, all sorts of rubbish comes up and um, good and bad, you know, there might be some things that are decent in there, but for someone without the knowledge or the skills to be able to decipher what's the right path, I think there still needs to be some sort of professional guidance to say, hey, you don't need a full advice, but this is a this is a good solution in the meantime. Yeah, I, I think so. And there's, there's a lot of noise out there and um you know influences or uh you know you, you can't help but if you if you happen to go on facebook you can't help but get spammed by people you know peddling their wares and i i would argue a lot of these people have never stepped foot in a financial planning office and don't have any background um you know yet we're held to a very high standard um an increasing standard and a lot of the news or the sources that are out there um definitely don't meet that standard or come close in i would um suspect but it's hard to pick and it's hard for um, clients to access that in a cost-effective way. And if they're not prepared to pay for it, um, you know, you, you do get what you pay for. But uh, I think that it doesn't mean you need to pay an arm and a leg and it can be done in a cost-effective way. It's just um, about delivering that and, and, and making it accessible. So oh, That's really good. I think we've, we've sort of covered off most of the things we're going to go through. So I really appreciate, again, your thoughts and insight. But I suppose the last question is if there's one thing you could change in the industry, what would it what would it be? They're trying to reduce the amount of regulation and the regulators. Um, I, I think um, you know that there almost needs to be one you know, one source. We're, we're almost there, but we're not quite. The level of regulation, um, you know, that's it's, I know that's a very broad one thing, but um, I just think simplification of, of the regulation and the compliance standards um, can be can be achieved. And, and should be a target for the current government and future governments to make advice more accessible to more Australians, you know, at a cost that doesn't break the bank. The compliance is the biggest burden cost-wise for a practice and a licence. If we can streamline or reduce that, um, then, you know, that's not just on the government. I think it's also on the providers and uh, whether it be platforms and, and technology, but that compliance burden uh, if we can reduce that, it will open up advice to more Australians and, and that's a positive thing. It's good for the economy, it's good for future Australians and, and we're all involved in the industry. But uh, yeah, so it's a very broad one, but just reduce the compliance. Um, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, well, thanks so much, John. It's, um, again, really great to get your, your time and, and thoughts. I'm sure everyone listening to this um, will, will get some benefit out of it. I'll let you get back to your busy day of clients. And, uh, again, appreciate you spending the time on our, on our show today. Thanks, Nige. Appreciate it. Speak soon. You've been listening to The Future Financial Advisor. So if you've been enjoying the show, please make sure to share it with your network and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. Or if you've got some ideas or thoughts or would like to come on as a guest or know someone who would be a great guest, then please let me know. To learn more about CNTM, just go to our website, cntm.com.au or look me up on LinkedIn. Look forward to speaking with you and see you on the next episode.